This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app. Jump on your smart trainer and jump into Zwift. Kreuzer, or welcome. So Geraint, it is the middle of December. It is dark from about three o'clock in the afternoon now in the northwest of England. It is so cold that the ground hasn't defrosted for about five days. But you're at training camp. Where in the world are you and how warm is it? Uh, it was short weather today, oh. Tom. Sorry to say. Yeah, I was a bit I was a bit hot as well, to be honest. <laughs> I was, had a long sleeve and a jersey on. I was like, oh, I need to take this off. So can't complain in Mallorca. Um, yeah, just in the room, another nice setup with pillows and cushions all around the mic. It's very impressive. Almost professional. Oh, very professional, I'd say, yeah. Got Josh Tarlin lying next to me. Uh, he's a bit out of shot, so you can't see him. And I don't want to move the laptop because it'll affect my setup. But um, yeah, got young Josh Tarlin lying next to me, rooming with him here. I was saying this to Josh last night, right? So I was like, wow, it feels a bit... Um, yeah, I've been to this part of Mallorca. must have been at least once a year since 2004 on average. And I was like, when were you born? <laughs> He's like, 2004. Oh. So every year of his life I've been here, training away. This is his first time. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's the days we live in, Tom. I'm getting old, riding with all these young guys. I can't tell you how much I'm enjoying you starting to experience what it's like being old after us doing this pod for two and a half years and it being a regular thing to refer to how old I am. <laughs> yeah it's all relative isn't it though i'm still young for this podcast this podcast crew i'm still the young one so that's all good you're a babe in arms now rather appropriately gtcc member simon roxburgh has tagged us in a photo g uh that has appeared on twitter of a gritter a road gritter which is called the geraint tom ice have you seen this before yeah i did see that yeah yeah can't complain that's that's pretty good isn't it have a gritter named after you I'm honoured. The thing about having a gritter named after you as well, I mean, you are moving towards the point in your career where it's not about your speed, where it's about you helping other people get to where they want to get to. And that fundamentally is what a gritter does. <laughs> yeah, very true, yeah. It uh, reflects my character perfectly, <laughs> doesn't it? Very, you know, helpful, nice or I, well, ice without the N, I don't know. A win's a win, you know, if you get a a gritter named after you, I'm taking that as a win, Tom. Very much so, particularly because it was a public vote, I think, a couple of years ago. Um, if you are listening to this and you've seen Geraint Tom Ice out on the roads, let us know where you have seen it. All we have is that the, the tweet was put out by Traffic Wales North and Mid. If you've seen the gritter, we would love to find it. Get in touch with us in all the usual places. Right, G, I've got a very slight bone to pick with you now. There is a video of you that's doing the rounds on uh, GCN, the Global Cycling Network. Have you taken on four amateurs on Zwift in your garage in Cardiff? Listen, first things first, it is obviously great to see you racing in your GTCC jersey on Zwift. But, and this is a spoiler alert, if you don't want to know the result of the race, fast forward uh, maybe 15, 20 seconds on your pod. Um, Geraint, you lost. You've given me a little bit of stick in recent weeks for my cross performances in the GTCC <laughs> vest. Can you please explain? Yeah, well, to be honest, I just thought it was a bit of a, a bit of a laugh, really. You know, we'd we'd 
you know, a bit of acting, make it look like we're trying quite hard. And then, um, you know how it is, the magic of TV or whatever it, it is called that we were on YouTube. But, um, yeah, those boys actually went for it. And, um, yeah, I lost. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't have a number on my back, you know. But I did go a lot harder than I thought I would. And then I underestimated him, to be honest, Tom. I thought, you know, he's just, he was a bit stronger than I realised. And I left it too late to chase him down. I thought we had a little... Up, I was told as well that we had a K uphill to finish. There wasn't a kilometre uphill. It was just all flat. So that's my excuse. He can have it. But I said, let's have a rematch in the Tour or something. Or the Giro or Tour Down Under. Anywhere, let's have a proper rematch. But obviously, that can't happen next year. It was it was different. It was To be fair, though, it gets a lot more out of you. It's a lot easier to try hard on Zwift like that than out on the road. Because... I can't remember what he said. I think it was about 4.9 watts a kilo or something for half an hour, which I'd never do now. Just, you know, out here in Mallorca or wherever, just go and do that for half an hour because on your own staring at your Garmin. So that's what Zwift's good about. At least it gets more out of you. That's very, very true. And it also helps answer a question that Ben Vogelsang posted on the GTCC Facebook group, which was about how hard you were working. The the other thing I like about this, Karen, is that you and I are discussing it on this podcast and you can absolutely guarantee that the bloke who beat you is having an almost identical conversation in the pub with all his mates. He's got both of his arms on the back of his chair stretched out and he's gesticulating and he's explaining to his all-struck mates how he beat former Tour de France champion Geraint Thomas on Zwift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I guess so, but he can have that, you know. Doing my bit for morale, you know, the keep the GCM boys upbeat, keep them putting out good content. That's what I'm all about, you know, sharing the love. I like well, I've, it. I've just got a quick one for you, Tom. Mm. We put our Christmas tree up last week. Have you Did got you? yours up yet? What, what's your sort of um, Christmas tree etiquette? When, how early do you go? We only went for it this last Saturday, gee. So we put it up on the 10th of December. I know it's quite late for a lot of people. Um, well, the reason we do that, Geraint, is because, and I don't know if this is um, a sort of chat you have to have with Sar, but you know when you go to the garden centre to get your Christmas tree and there's a baffling range of different Christmas trees. There's like different... They're not brands, are they? Different types, species? No, that's too much. Different types. <laughs> they're all the same, aren't they? They're all Christmas. Christmas tree is a well. That's not the technical name for them, but they're all the same type of tree, aren't they? They're just different sizes, right? No, you get different ones. You can get a Nordic spruce. You can get basically. It seems that there is some sort of line between a tree that will maintain its needles for, if need be, until June, but will have no Christmassy aroma. And at the other end of the scale is something which one little sniff as you walk into the lounge will make you feel Christmassy. But the downside is that it, it will bury spikes into your carpet, which will hurt your feet for the next four months. Yeah, luckily we don't have carpet where we are, so that's a good one. But you're a real Christmas tree buyer then, you don't go for the fake one. No, I like a nice smelly one. I like one which you can sort of, you can rub the needles between your hands and it's just, that is the aroma of Christmas drifting past you. Nice. And how about the size? You go like, it's that big, do you need to, chop the top off of it once you get it in the house we go we always go too big because i bite with the boys so we are sent from the house with instructions to get a sensible one that will fit in and then we come back with one which wouldn't look out of place on the top of a forest in in the alps <laughs> yeah we did exactly the same i borrowed a team car because i was like that's <laughs> no chance that's getting no chance that's getting in the mini so we went and got it must have been oh, i don't know at least eight foot eight and a half beautiful foot. yeah we got to go a bit earlier, though, because 
I come away for training camp here, and then I come back on like the the twentieth. So, and then it's pretty much Christmas, isn't it? And the family are coming out, so we have to get it all sorted sooner rather than later. So it is amazing how much a tree grows between the point where you're buying it and the point where you got it in your house. It seems to double in size. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, keep us posted on all your Christmas shenanigans. And in the meantime, should we get a guest on? Let's do it. We all love coffee, don't we, G? Never do this pod without one, Tom. Or a ride, actually. Yeah, there is nothing better than a quick coffee for a cold winter ride or before hopping on Zwift. So, I know we'll both be delighted with the next sponsor of this podcast, Origin Coffee. Also, there is a cheeky discount code we've got for all our listeners. Origin Coffee are one of the leading brands on the coffee scene and they get just how much cyclists love coffee. And get this, Tom. Origin's director of coffee, Freda, is a three times UK cup tasting champion. Not once, Garrett, not twice, but three times. That is pretty impressive. Would you like another great fact? All online orders are roasted and shipped the very same day. Super speedy, just how we like it on this podcast. They also have a rewards program, so customers like you and me can earn points and get cash back every time we shop online. So why not try one of their delicious espresso blends or an interesting single origin coffee? There are so many profiles to try, and all the coffee comes in home compostable bags. So if you want to order some Origin Coffee and get a massive 30% off, just go to origincoffee.co.uk and use the code GTCC30 at checkout. That's the code GTCC30 at checkout. Go and get yours today. Enjoy! Today's guest, Tom, has won so much. I think it'd take me forever to list a whole Palmares, a whole list of results, but I'm going to give it a go anyway. So here we go. She was the first ever winner of the Tour de France Femme, which was this year. Won La Course twice. Won the Giro Don three times. The Road Race and Time Trial at the Worlds twice. Time Trial at the Olympics. Only once, that one, to be fair. Flanders twice, Liège de Bastogne-Liège twice, Strada Bianchi twice. Is this all right? I hope it is. But uh, welcome to the GTCC, Annemiek van Vluten. Yeah, thanks guys for having me. How was that? Was that your biggest results? Yeah, I think so. I didn't miss anything. Okay, that's all right then. But that's fair play. That's some list of, um, that's some wins you got there. Yeah, it's always nice to hear the recap because, yeah, you know how it is if you're... It's not daily that I, I make a list like that for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I had the list that long, though, to be fair. But um, I remember, Tom, the first time I met Annemiek was, I can't remember what year it was now, but it was up on Tenerife um, when we were at a training camp. Annemiek was there as well. I think you were on your own um, training there. But, oh, man, like chatting to you at breakfast, like, oh, oh, what are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing seven hours with some of the movie star guys. And I was like, holy crikey okay and then the next day oh what are you doing today yeah go out with them again probably do six or seven hours and um yeah absolute animal basically in a good way but uh i think those results um well seen up in tenerife i can see how, how the results happen yeah i can handle a lot of training loads yeah but uh it's not that it's always fun eh, to join the guys because uh, i wake up with the feeling like oh I go out of my comfort zone today. It is also not what I always really love to do, but um, I know that it works for me. So yeah, that's why um, 
I do it. I try to follow them always. Like I, I actually cannot follow them. Yeah, but that was part of the reason I moved down here, to be honest. Because when I started concentrating on the road after the track days, you know, Chris Froome was here, uh, Richie Port, who were, you know, two of the best climbers in the world at the time. So training with them every day, you know, chasing them up every climb and it brings you on for sure. So I can see why you do it, even though it hurts, but it certainly pays off in the end. Yeah, it's a bit mentally a bit easier if they set the pace and I go out of the uh, comfort zone. It's like I don't need to push myself mentally. So it's just stick to the wheel or try to follow as long as possible. And um, yeah, it's maybe a little bit the same, yeah. I don't need to do it every day because then I'm really, uh, I also have a, a moment that I get uh, finished. But yeah, for some days it's uh, it's useful, yeah. So let's talk about some of these wins then, Anna Meek. And the one that I think we should start with, because you've won, I know no wins are ever easy, but you've you've won from close in and then you've won from a very, very long way out. So let's talk about the World Championships in Yorkshire and the decision making that went into deciding to win the road race with a solo break of 100 kilometers. Yeah, it was actually just decided by the parkours because they had one amazing hill in the parkours, but they just put it in way too too early in the race or just not close enough for me to the finish. And it was, yeah, 105 kilometers from the finish. And I knew when I want to have a go, um, I can make the difference uphill. And it was like a quite a steep uh, climb. I forgot the name, but it's like three, four kilometers, uh, 9%. And yeah, uh, that was my chance. And um, we made a plan with my coach. It was, we called it a bit like a crazy plan. So uh, then we also we started with training with hashtag uh, crazy plan. Uh, so uh, when we did some long uh, training sessions, uh, it was always a bit like a hashtag crazy plan. And I started... To believe in it that it could be maybe possible that's mad that is that you from that far out you're like right this is what we're gonna do and yeah that must be super motivational when you're training you get this text through hashtag crazy plan i might start that yeah i think the most uh, important thing was that i said the plan to my coach like oh i really love the course there only is on one problem there's a super good uh, climb in it but it's 105 kilometers from the finish and I expected my coach to say to me, like, yeah, uh, it's a Dutch guy, Louis uh, de la Haye. And that he would say to me, like, yeah, Annemiek, this is way too crazy. Like, uh, nah. And, um, but he replied to me, like, okay, in men's cycling at this moment is not possible because there's too much control of other countries. He said, but in, in women's cycling, it's still possible at that time. Um, less control. And he said, like, uh, I think you have a chance with this plan and then you start to believe in it and it, the plan is yeah is growing and um yeah when i have a mission and a plan then um it gets the best out of me oh for sure especially when you like when it comes off in the end as well something like that but so your coach does he coach any of the dutch girls and uh, now also marianne vos uh, but she started with him a little bit uh, a couple of years uh, later uh, before he was also coaching the, the guys in the Rabobank team. And now he switched almost to only girls. Uh, only two, three, four girls he is uh, training now, coaching. Ah, okay, because that Dutch team is so strong. It must be hard to... Like, when it comes to the Worlds, it must be... Because when you race day-to-day, you're in your separate teams. You're all leaders in your own right. And then to come together, that must be the biggest challenge with... Well, with trying to win the Worlds is your own teammates. It's super hard. Yeah, I think I can say that uh, the races for the national team are the races that I think I don't like 
uh, the best because also there's less competition because we put all the good girls in 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 uh, yeah in the Italian team in the the Netherlands, team of the Netherlands there are only three four five countries with a really high quality. I like more to race for the commercial teams and I'm happy that we could show that off in the show that in the Tour de France because there's more battle out there if we are separate in um, in all separate over all commercial teams. In that hundred kilometers, Anna Meek, because the weather for that world was pretty horrible. It wasn't the best showcase for Yorkshire ever. So, what's going through your head on those on those hundred kilometers as you're getting closer and closer to the line? Your rivals are trying to catch you. The weather's getting worse. Yeah, we were super lucky that day that the boys had the day after. It had a horrible day with the weather, but we had got actually sun in Yorkshire, so we were a little bit uh, lucky. I was a bit lucky with the weather. Uh, but yeah, I had a lot of uh, thoughts in my head and I made also a joke that I could write a book about it. I think all the negative thoughts that were in my head or all the distraction thoughts I had. Um, and also at one point, I think after the climb was cli- uh, was a really long part uh, straight. I knew that they were chasing me with eight girls behind. And then you're out there by yourself and you know that you're super good. And I was thinking like, oh, I really, I'm really destroying here my really good day with this stupid, crazy plan. And at that part, uh, with the straight headwind, I was, um, yeah, I was doubting if, uh, if I made the, the right decision. But yeah, once you commit, uh, never look back and just go for it. And um, when I arrived to the final circuits in Yorkshire... I started to believe in the plan because then I finished um, a bit of flat part and uh, there was a bit more rolling and less headwind. Um, yeah, and yeah, the more close you come to the finish, the more you start to believe in the plan. But it was a long time out there. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's not something that I like to do every day. All the thoughts that were going through my head. Fair play. It takes some guts though to do it, and I think like doing something like that would have caught well everyone by surprise. I would have thought like nobody would have expected that. So. You had that slight element of surprise, but then they've still got ninety odd k to, you know, bring you back. So a lot of a lot of guts to do that. So fair play, fully go for that. Yeah, thanks. It's also a bit my racing style. I think I don't like to wait. I like to race with a plan and um, maybe some craziness sometimes. Um, and also I have to say that and I want to do the same this year in Volongong, but I think now the level of women cycling is way higher. So there's more. Um, quality in the field so maybe there's now more uh, yeah, more control um, I think now it would have been hard to attack already on that long climb in this year's World Championship what was initial my plan before I broke my elbow so it's also a good thing I think that maybe now my Yorkshire act is not possible anymore nowadays in women's cycling Had you worked out that the way you won in Wollongong this year had you worked out that was the only way you were going to win that you needed just to launch where you did in the final kilometre uh, I was that day Never ever thinking about to win until the last two kilometers. Really? Um, I was co-leader with Marianne Vos before I broke my elbow. I broke my elbow and then I felt like I, I felt that I was not so good anymore. So I said like, okay, I, I changed to a domestic role. We go all in for Marianne, one leader. And I was happy to contribute uh, to her victory. Actually, I, I felt super shit after those world championships. I had an amazing season and I felt a bit depressed and I felt like this the best way to leave Australia with a little bit better feeling if I can help Marianne Vost uh, at least with with uh, a support role uh, to her world championships title so that was my motivation to go still on the bike with a broken elbow 
But yeah, in the last two kilometers, I I saw that she was not coming back to my group. Uh, I noticed already before that I was not at my normal level, but I was not super shit. Uh, I could at least in a I la- was in a group behind the the five leaders. And yeah, in the last two kilometers, the the plan um, started to grow in my head. Like, hey, if the group comes together, and Marianne Vos is still not here, my leader. Then I have one shot and one opportunity and I should take it like at immediately if the group comes together. So I was already in that chasing group with this plan in my head in the last two kilometers. That's also a great way to win though as well. You know, just, just like not expecting it, a bit of spirit of the moment, just like tactically just deciding there and then almost like not even thinking, just racing as, as I would say, like when you're a junior, you just feel a moment, boom, oh, I've got to go bang. And so, uh, yeah, which which would you say was the most satisfying then out of the, you know, a pre-planned hashtag crazy attack from a year out to a last minute decision of I'm going now and then winning that way? I guess it's hard to, to split them in it, but. Yeah, I really cannot choose. The, the feeling after the finish uh, was in Yorkshire better because I really felt like, wow, this amazing plan worked. And in Wollongong, I had after the finish, I felt like, did I just win? I could not believe it. And it took me also one week, really. Every morning I was waking up like, ah, oh, someone will tell me this was, this was a joke because it was so crazy and so not my style of winning. And I was so committed domestic that I was like, nah, no one will tell me like, hey, funny that you thought that you would win, that you did win the World Championship, but no, nah, it was a joke. So it took me really one week. But I think if I look back to my last, to my season and then to have this reward to be the World Champion uh, in my last season, in the World Championship jersey, yeah, that is so gold and so special. So I'm a super, uh, also a little bit uh, super lucky girl that I, I have this as my last season. Just for those that don't know as well, Tom, you say Annemiek, you had a broken elbow. It wasn't like you broke your elbow two months before. It was like the week before, no? It was in the team time trial. So you're in Australia. Yeah, it was in the you team crashed relay. a few days before, broke your elbow and yeah. team relay, yeah. So that just makes it even more bonkers, really. But fair play. Yeah. I also could not go out of my saddle, um, or at least like not like you normally can do. I could not attack out of my saddle. I could go out of the saddle a bit, like, but yeah, it's not the way how you want to attack on a climb, full gas. Um, so that's also why I decided like I cannot cannot be leader anymore. But yeah, I could go that uh, crazy attack in the last kilometer. So yeah, that was still possible. Do you give us an idea for those of us who haven't been in a in a world road race or ridden at the level that you two have? Give us a, give us an idea of how of the percentage chances of you in a not only as an athlete, as an elite athlete, feeling physically like that, being able to race, but also of an attack like that coming off, all the little things that need to come together for an attack like that to work. What? So take the injury out of it first and just purely attacking in the last K. Obviously, it'd been a hard race. You know, as Annemiek said, there was like groups of people. I think there was what, maybe 10 in your group? Eight? It was a, it was a fairly small group coming into the finish. So it was a tough race. And But even so, you know, you're racing for the world champs everyone kind of you'd think everyone sort of expect Annemiek to do something like that you know with a, the fact that you can't really sprint and get out of the saddle and really sort of throw the bike around so but yeah for to actually hit them at the right time get enough speed to get a good gap and then hold off the chase all the way to the line like yeah to put out the amount of watts you got to do to do that is is insane anyway let alone having broke your elbow a few days before it's just bonkers but you know thinking the times i've tried that um 
well, Commie Games this year, um, when I went in just over a K to go, um, I had two teammates that chased me down in that race, so Tom, didn't I? So You did, well, sort of sort of teammates, yeah. Yeah, teammates riding for different countries. You got chased down by the Englishman, didn't you? Yeah, not that I hold it against him. But um, no, so that it didn't come off. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's just one of those where, well, with normal people, I'd say, like normal people, it'd be eight times, nine times out of 10, it won't work. With Annemiek, it's probably a bit less than that. It's probably 50-50 with the legs that she's got. But um, still, it's incredible, incredible, really. And I remember watching that, like you saw it from, you've got the helicopter view of just the attack and get the gap and you're just thinking whoa yeah fair play good effort like you know keep going and they, they kind of chase him but then it's not closing and yeah if you can get that gap straight away and hold them off for i don't know you know 10 seconds or so suddenly in their head they're like wow i've been going flat out i still haven't closed this gap you know i'm gonna leave it to somebody else and then that's when if you can hold them off for that bit that's when it, the sort of advantage comes to you a bit then but just getting that gap initially is the hardest bit. I think also if I waited one second, I would not have made it. I just went exactly in the right moment where the group came together. And also at that point, the road, you also need to be a little bit lucky. The road went a little bit down. So I, I could take the speed of the road that goes down. Um, and everyone was on one side. Yes, all in the time and then like the momentum you got. Yeah. Yeah, where they are on the road, you know, what you've got coming up, if it's a slight corner, if you've got that momentum just to hit them and take them, get the jump and by surprise, whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's the timing is everything. But, but, gee, I was also wondering, like, I think you also don't win technically. Like, what was your last technically win? Like, normally you, you, you win also in a different way. Yeah, I think, well, my last win was Tour Swiss and I didn't cross the line with my arms in the air. That was just purely a GC win. Um, you know, that's just basic sort of, or basic, but you know, I used, um, Fuglesang there just like, cause he was in yellow Jersey last mountain stage. I knew I'd have him in the TT. Um, oh, what's his name now? The Bora guy, the Colombian climber. Um, it'll come to me later, but he attacks. I just sit on Fuglesang and it's like, mate, you're in the Jersey, you chase. Fortunately he did. He did most before me. Then I jumped away from him and, um, this Bora guy, what the hell's his name now? Anyway, he took the jersey by like three seconds from me and I was like, well, it's fine, you know, we got a TT tomorrow so I can take that. So that was all controlled sort of, you know, but when it comes to purely E3 was one, but that was like seven years ago now. Yeah, I mean, it's not so often that we've been like that. No, no. What about Alpduez? Alpduez was slightly tactical, wasn't it? Yeah, Alpduez was, I guess, yeah, you know, it was just knowing how to take speed around a corner, which is quite basic really, isn't it? But, the other guys kind of didn't really go wide and yeah, I took a lot of speed there and straight out of the corner, but that's a lot of legs as well, really. If you don't have the legs, you can't do it. So, or well, like most of it really, but there's nothing better than just racing like that though. Um, that's what's so good when I go and do the Commonwealth Games, even though I ended up eighth, it's just, it was just pure, it just reminds me of being a junior again. It's just like complete chaos. Teams are rarely race with each other because those countries race with each other once every four years. Most of them, you know, Wales, England, Isle of Man. And it's just uh, chaos. <laughs> and it's just, it's great fun. A bit like the Nationals. Nationals is just bonkers. It's just like, yeah. But thinking about long attacks, the longest I've had solo was 50K or so in um, Ride London, just before 
Rio Olympics it was. So I did the tour, 2016. Did ride London the following weekend, and then we flew out to Rio the next day. So the Olympic team was racing this race, and um, well, me and Stanard were anyway. And we were in the breakaway. I'm going up Box Hill the last time, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to slim this group down, went, and then ends up being on my own. I was like, wow. Bought my ticket now. You know, it's 50k to the finish in London, so put my head down and try. Caught me with about 2k, a k to go almost, which was, yeah, that was annoying, but. Yeah, Stanard reckons they had help from the motorbike, so so that's my excuse. I don't think it was. It was just a raging peloton just chasing me down, but it's just great to race like that at times, isn't it? Yeah, for me, it was also like in the beginning of my career, I never won uphill, so I always won in a technically move or because I was racing with Marianne Voss, I made a bit like use of the fact that everyone's looking at Marianne Voss. That was how I did win my first tour of Flanders. So it felt a bit like this win is a bit like how I started cycling to in, my, in the first years of my career, how I did win at that time. And um, yeah, what you described. Do you still enjoy racing your bike like then? You still enjoy it as much? Oh, I enjoy it way more. I am, I'm super lucky that I work with my coach and he helps me to enjoy it. Okay, I work more hours. Um, and I am uh, quite a perfectionist myself. Um, but he is not encouraging the perfectionist in me. So he always... Um, Always, like he really helps me to enjoy a bit more my uh, way how to I want to achieve my goals. Um, so when I want to be the perfect athlete, he he tells me like Alamik in the end that will not make the difference if you have a coffee stop of 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And it helped me so much in the last four or five years of my career that he all the time when something comes up in my head like oh I should do maybe this or that or should it maybe better and then he's telling me in my head like oh yeah Alamik in the end that will not make a difference if you do five and a half hour today or six hours and that made me more relaxed and more enjoying my um, to set my goals yeah I wanted to ask about uh, the tour Alamik because you and your generation of riders have done as much as anything to convince anyone who may be in doubt that the tour should go from La Corse, a one-day race, to being an eight-stage race. How did it feel when you were on the start line? Did it just feel like a race? Have you got your race head on? Or were you thinking about everything that had taken women cycling to that point? Yeah, I think that started a bit um, during the Tour de France. When I was at the start line, I was a bit Dutch, uh, how do you say, uh, taking it really uh, down to earth. Uh, for like, oh, first we, we see, then we will believe that it will be a big event for us. I think my Dutch colleagues also had a bit the same attitude. Everyone was talking, asking me about how will it feel, the yellow jersey. And I was a bit like, oh yeah, uh, right. And um mm-hmm. I didn't find it so special until Marianne Voss took the yellow jersey. And then I looked at her like, oh, it's actually quite a cool thing. Eh? <laughs> and also how they organized it for us. The event started to, they, they put out such a good show from the start that I really had the feeling from the start that we were really in the part of the Tour de France. And the same organization, the same speaker, the same podium. And that was exceeding my expectations, also the, the audience. So with the days, I was... Um, yeah, I started to get the, the feeling like, whoa, we, we achieved something in women's cycling. I know where I was coming from. In my first year was 2008. Um, we did all the races by, uh, with a van, with the bikes in the back and, uh, and uh, not even a laundry machine. We had to do it by hand. And if you know that's 2008, it's like not, it's not, not 15 years and where we come from that we now have a live television show. In 2011, I did win my first tour of Flanders, I remember. 
And there was one sh- uh, second shot at the finish line because there were already some cameras for the guys. And uh, that was the only thing they showed. We didn't have any live coverage. That's not so long ago. It was 10 years ago. So 11. And um, yeah, if you realize then you're in the Tour de France and we are there at a point that uh, they organize it for us because we are now from a commercial point of view also interesting. And that we have people that really want to watch us and they want to watch us. And if we're not on television, they start now to question like, why are you not on television? Yeah, we, I know where we come from if, if, if I look back at where, when I started. Yeah, I think that's a great point as well about, you know, the same podium, the same speaker. It's just the same, like, and having your own dates for it as well. So as soon as our race finished on the Sunday, you started on the Monday or Tuesday, right? Or maybe it started on Sunday, but you basically had the whole basically the whole race was just the women's tour i think that makes a massive difference as well you know it's not like the warm-up event almost for the men or you know it's not that it ever is but you know how people would perceive it so yeah it's massive how did you find planche belfie because you that was the last stage right up there horror Especially because it was the last day and you're a little bit thinking like, oh, I just want to conserve the yellow jersey. But something in my heart also really wanted to win on in yellow on La Planche. Um, so it was a bit in doubt. But yeah, I felt like it's so nice to to go there. I felt like everything in my body was saying to me like, oh, I just attack on the last two kilometers when it gets really steep maybe. And then try to make the difference. But the chance to win it. I had a bigger chance if I would attack from the bottom, but everything in my body was screaming like, oh no, I don't want to suffer again for 20, 25 minutes all out. Like if you want, if you let your body choose for a 25 minute all out suffer or like five minute all out suffer, then your body, and especially after racing uh, seven, eight days full gas, um, yeah, your body tends to choose for the short uh, suffer period. But then I felt like now the biggest chance, I really want to win here. Um, so I, I attack from the bottom. And also, like, I found it surprising how many people were there waiting for us, all were walking up for us to see us watch, uh, to see us, uh, to watch us finish this race. And that, um, yeah, that also exceeded my expectations by far. Attacking at the bottom of that climb, though, you do not want to go too hard too early, do you? With that, with those last 500 meters or whatever they are, like, oh, I don't even know what they are, like 20 odd percent, over 16 percent gravel, little corner. Terrific. Yeah, the motorbike uh, demonstrated a bit how steep yeah, it was yeah, because yeah. Uh, he fell down. So, <laughs> yeah, it was also uh, maybe because I went super slow, so he could not get the speed anymore. So, <laughs> but yeah, it looks spectacular for people to watch. What was your secret to holding your form for so much this season, Annemiek? Because you've had an unbelievable year, and gee, I'll ask you to put it into context in a, in a moment. But to win everything you did this year, how do you hold your form at such a high level for so long? Yeah, so in, in November, I sit down with my coach, or actually we go to a really nice restaurant <laughs> to celebrate the last season. And then we make it's a little a good bit... Good Yeah, we make a little bit of a plan for the next year, like what, what are my goals? And also uh, periods where I want to recharge um, for the next block of goals. So before when I started, and maybe you also like you just race from race to race and you get a program by your team and you just race what you have to race. Now I'm a little bit lucky situation that I can... Yeah, decide a little bit about my own race program. And around that, I know that I need two, three weeks in between race blocks to recharge myself. And then I do, um, yeah, I invite people that I like to ride with. Uh, I go to a nice place for training. For me, that's also the altitude 
it's usually I, I build in an altitude block. Uh, whereas like one part is that like getting like also mentally rest. I invite nice people that I also have like a social part in my altitude uh, camp. Uh, I go to the mountains because I like there to train. Uh, yeah, for example, this year I was between Giro d'Italia and Tour de France in Divino. And Tom Dumoulin was there with a camper with Leonard Hofstede. And my coach was also there. And uh, yeah, we had some nice days together. You have some different company. Uh, we went a couple of times out for dinner. So yeah, and then after those 10, 12 days of recharging in Livigno, I'm like really ready mentally to race again. It's maybe sometimes more to sustain the, the eagerness to suffer than it is really your physical shape, I think. It's more that I need to recharge myself mentally that I really want to suffer again. So after the 10 days Giro d'Italia, you have a little bit of decompression, but also then I really need the time to switch off a bit. And that's a little bit with dinners, seeing nice people, uh, having a good time. Uh, training a little bit without schedule, and then I'm ready to go again. Uh, and those blocks of altitude also really help me. I build them in in my year. So I talk with that with my coach, like what is a race period and what is a training period. And I try to have like those training periods, like to build up my form again, but also recharge mentally. And uh, that's also why I go quite. So when you say you go out for dinners, then what what's dinner like with Anamik? You having gin and tonics, nice red wine steaks or is it <laughs> do you drink um yeah i come from a student time i was happy that i uh, had a lot of, uh, enough uh, <laughs> alcohol party experience in my student time so um now as athletes i just decided um yeah, I, I i don't drink in my season uh, because it's also a bit more easy for if i go out with my friends that i i don't end up in the don't end up in the discussion like if i do want to drink yes or no and then another glass so then it's this discussion is finished and i also know a little bit myself and maybe g also knows that a bit cyclists are usually like or nothing <laughs> yeah so when you start it that is um, <laughs> yeah you get a little bit on the slippery slope of drinking maybe too much So that's why I decide, uh, like, yeah, for those dinners, I don't need alcohol also to have a good time. So, but um, a nice restaurant with some nice food from people that uh, take care of the food and a nice ambience and nice people, then, uh, yeah, that's for me the the way how to recharge. I'm going to tell that to my coach, Tom. I'm going <laughs> to ring Connor after this. Connor, you need to take me out to a nice restaurant, talk about my training. Hashtag crazy plan. Yeah, hashtag crazy plan. <laughs> Should we talk about um, 2016 and something that's happened to both of you at the Rio Olympics? Now people will remember watching this. Two horrific crashes. Who wants to describe their horrific crash at pretty much the same point on the same descent? Who would like to go first? Well, ladies first. Yeah, I I remember when we did the recon of that uh, descent, I thought, like, oh, this is a tricky one. Because um, normally in, in the Alps, you can uh, it's more clear to see the corners, how they go. And uh, at that time, I, I know how it's for G, but I didn't have a Garmin yet. So nowadays you have the Garmin and you can see a little bit like how the corners go in the descent. It's not that I descend with my head a bit, my nose on the Garmin, but at least you get like a, you keep slightly, uh, you get a view on like hey, how the corners are going. I remember that I, yeah, I was alone uphill and I remember that had Mara Abbott uh, behind me. Um, I knew that she was not a perfect descender, so I, I was remember that I went down with the feeling like I, I don't need to go full gas or I don't need to take all the risks. But for sure, yeah, when you go first all out on the climb, you lose a little bit your focus. Uh, and also in the descent, I think it was one of the last corners. Yeah, I just misjudged that corner with a combination of tiredness, a combination of that, yeah, not knowing exactly the descent, like there were too many corners, so you could not 
uh, remember them from the from the recon. And uh, yeah, from uh, one second I was going for the gold medal, and the other second I was uh, ended up in the in the hospital. I think we crashed on the same corner. It was, yeah, yeah. I think it was the it was the last corner, basically the last tight corner, anyway. And um, exactly the same. I remember going down it in in the recon, thinking you just can't really read this road. It's just so like there was no rhythm to it. It was always just like sometimes they tightened up, sometimes they were big wide, and they were quite bumpy as well. And um, same thing, you know, you've you've just gone up this mountain full gas. You know, you've done however long the race was, two hundred k. And then you'd got the descent and I was thinking, there's only one guy in front then. A few of the guys had crashed. I was thinking, oh, this is on, you know. For sure, I'm racing for a medal here um, or racing for gold. But um, yeah, and then just getting a bit carried away with it as well for myself. I was just a bit like, oh, yeah, come on, here we go. I can really like make a difference here, catch up to, who was it now? Um, oh, it was a Polish guy. Um, oh, Micah, yeah. So Rafa Micah was just up the road. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll catch him now. And yeah, I just came into this corner. I wasn't wide enough. And um, yeah, just tightened up on me. Road was a bit bumpy as well. And back end just skipped out straight into like the storm drain. Yeah, luckily I was, wasn't too bad. I didn't have to go to hospital. Got back on the bike, ended up, I don't know, 10th or 11th or something, just rode in. But um, yeah, that's the one race that always sort of still annoys me a little. When you're like, oh, that could have been, could have done something there. But shit happens, doesn't it, Tom? <laughs> yeah, for me, that one was the hardest to digest because I made a mistake myself. Mm. And like cycling, you you lose a lot. I, I, I would not say that you that you lose a lot. Actually, you don't win all the time. Um, but with this one, I was really, I had it in my hands. Yeah, and I lost it. Yeah, most of us, lose more than we win i think this year you've you've won more than you've lost but yeah generally generally you lose a lot more than you win but so when it's there for the taking or at least you know if you just lose it because you just lose a sprint or whatever and it's easier to take in it than just throwing yourself off your bike but yeah a mistake that i make myself that is that was for me really hard to accept i think for two weeks i was really like in a depressed mode like every morning i wake up like oh why did I misjudge, misjudge that corner? And if I would not have misjudged that corner, I would now have been Olympic champion. And oh, that was a, a super hard one for me to digest. Yeah. Yeah. So the Olympic road race is the one thing missing from your well list of big, big wins. So that's got a, well, I don't, I don't know, but is Paris like the a massive goal for you or? No, so this, uh, the next season, uh, 2023, will be my last season. I will not uh, go to Paris. Yeah, oh, really? I will maybe go to Paris, but uh, I will support you then. <laughs> well, I might be in the same boat. I think we can both go there and have a gin tonic and watch it together. Can have a nice meal with uh, Anna Meet's coach. <laughs> yeah, then I go for the gin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, also, like, um, I said, like, in Paris, uh, if they put uh, Aldoès in the, the parkour of uh, Paris, but uh, I think the chance that it will be really hard and hilly for me will be really uh, small. And I think it's, uh, for me, it like, was a right decision to, um, yeah, to stop next year, I feel like. Then it's my own decision and um, usually also the Olympic, the road race. Okay, it's missing for my Palmares, but it's not bothering me because 
yeah, maybe the one, the question in uh, in Rio really fueled me and and motivated me for the rest of my career. So it's it's not a scar in my uh, in my soul. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm I'm fine with it. You've you've won Olympic TT though, so you've still got Olympic gold in your back pocket. It's not and so I have bad. also a special story with other roadways. So uh, yeah. Well, yes. Uh, I like to make stories. <laughs> Funny that you brought that up because I was I was about to ask you about that because for people that don't know. Um, Tom, can you remind me of the name? Anna. Anna Kieserhofer. There we go. No radios allowed in Olympic road race. She's up the road. I don't know what it was up to at one stage. Was it like 15 minutes or something crazy at one stage? It was big. She had a big yeah. lead. And then you go yeah. away. Too um, big. Yeah. You go away. <sighs> yeah. Cross the line second thinking you had won it. Um, oh, that must have been hard. How what are the emotions going through there? From crossing the line to like, who's the one that told you? Like, how's that even? I wouldn't want to be the one to have to go and say, "Oh, sorry, <laughs> you, you're actually second. I remember I was super happy over the finish, and then uh, our uh, Swanjur was waiting at the finish line. He said, "Oh, you are super happy." I was like, uh, "Yeah, wait, I just got Olympic champion. <laughs> Can be happy, no?" <laughs> uh, yeah. And then when I I looked at his face like, eh, something is wrong. And I'm like, I didn't win. And so he told me, yeah. So oh. uh, his face told me that something was not okay. And uh, yeah, then you have to pass the whole mix zone. Uh, I think in the last uh, box in the mix zone, like yeah, telling over and over again this story. Well, that was a hard one. Um, I felt also stupid. It helped a little bit at passing the finish line that I uh, realized that uh, way more girls did not know who had won the race. So I felt super stupid at the first point. And then I found out like that also my teammates didn't know that uh, who did win. Um, yeah, that helped a little bit that I, at least I could accept it a little bit better than compared to the Rio one that I could not blame myself for, yeah, for not knowing it. Yeah, I broke a bit in the end of the mix zone. Um, but it also, yeah, I like always to look to the positive side. Okay, it was shit. In the end, I also had the feeling that I still did win the, the silver medal out of a situation where we did not would not get any medal uh, for the Dutch team. And for myself, it was also my first Olympic medal. And apart from that, it made it nice for the story because I had to show the whole world. I had the opportunity to make the click in one day and deal how to deal with disappointment and... I have another opportunity to go for the time trial. And I think that way, yeah, maybe um, it made uh, the win in the time trial maybe more special because it's a bit attached to the disappointment of the road race. At least it was a disappointing Olympics for you, but you come away with gold and silver. I come away with a load of bumps and bruises and sod all, so <laughs> you're, you did all right. <laughs> That's the thing with the mix zone. I don't get that. Like, it's the same question you got to answer, especially when it's like a a negative experience for you and you having to give like this answer the same thing like eight times surely there's a better way that they can do that because like come on come on tom you're, you're ex-bbc like, yeah you're... i need i probably need to apologize i've been in that mix and i've done exactly that it is yeah, <laughs> it happens because you've got the same question yeah well if you've got all those different broadcasters from different countries that's one issue so you might have a few languages but fundamentally all of us think we're going to ask that question first we're you know we've got that ego thinking we're the only one who's thought of this question the reality is that everyone's thought of that question because it's the obvious question and we're not as clever as we think bloody journalists say eh? yeah i have to say they were quite nice to me i i was not that 
they were really annoying. But just was you have to tell over and over the same story. Yeah, and then at the end of the fin- of the mix zone, you're really done with it. Like <laughs> people, I want to get out of here. It was such a nuts race. So, gee, can we, can we explain to people who maybe don't understand how this would have worked? How you can have a scenario where one rider gets away, and the rest of the race might not know about it. Well, it's just um, it's rare not to have radios, you know. Like in every race we do, other than the are the world's not radios still. I haven't ridden the worlds for a while now. No. So um, yeah, it's just it's so different. Like I feel like it does help the more organized teams because you have to communicate really well together as a team. You know, have to be really on it and really, you know, understand each other well. I think it does benefit the stronger nations to a point but then like i say there's there's one person up the road massive advantage and if the the race organizers or you know the the guys on the motorbikes giving time checks and everything if they're not switched on this you you have no idea like with us i think um a similar thing happened the breakaway went and they ended up getting 10 minutes maybe more and then there's like in the group everyone's a bit like you know, discussing with other teams and trying to get everyone to ride. Eventually it all worked out and it was okay in our race. But yeah, if you don't get those time checks, you don't understand the gaps. Like even then when the race is, is kicking off, like it could be people attacking all over the shop and you don't even know what's going on really. Like you, you know kind of who's there, but yeah, it's, it's as I say, it's if you're not getting that feedback from the motorbikes, it's... You're not counting all the girls. So I had the same situation now in the World Championships. Uh, I knew that there were five on the road, but then the group comes together. And at the moment that I come to that group, but was then at that time, I think a group of 10 or something, you're not, I wanted to attack already, like at that moment. So it's not that I first I'm going to count like if everyone there. I only saw that uh, Ashley Mormon was in front. And I had the feeling that everyone was still there, but I didn't know for sure. So when I crossed the finish line, I didn't know that I had won. So I really had to ask. Uh, that's also why I was like super surprised. Like, first of all, I was not thinking about winning the race. But second, I was also not sure that there was not someone that uh, attacked already from that group. That could have happened when I was not there. And, and you don't get that information. So it. Yeah, I had them to ask at the at the front year, like, hey, did I really win? And I maybe also a little bit the scar of to- of uh, Tokyo in myself, like I don't want to celebrate uh, again. It felt also a little bit too good to be true. Uh, it's like, oh, for sure, there was someone uh, that attacked already from that group. Um, on the other hand, I have to say that I also it helped me a little bit um, because when you race with radios, maybe the cars behind would have prepared the group in front, like, hey, Van Vleut is coming back. Uh, be prepared for a last kilometer uh, attack for that she will take maybe a flyer. So yeah, now was, no one was prepared for my attack. And yeah, in that way, um, it also helped me this time that we didn't have radios. Do all wins feel the same, Annemiek, or do some wins feel more special than others? Yeah, I think every win has a, especially when they have a kind of a story behind it, it feels different. Like uh, this was the story of the disappointment dealing um, on the Wednesday with the team relay when I broke my elbow. And also the Tokyo one, the golden one is also with a story um, to win the first edition to the fans. That's one is special because I had, I had the feeling that was maybe the win with the biggest impact I had. Way bigger than winning the gold medal in Tokyo. Because when I came back home, I was surprised that like cycling people watched the race, but 
a lot of non-cycling people watch the Tour de France. Also, also for the women, people that don't watch normally uh, cycling followed it. So I was surprised like about the impact of that one. And that made that one special. I think it's more the story behind. Uh, also, this Tour de France, I got really sick in the beginning. So that also made this, this victory really special. Yeah, I think the story. Yeah, I was going to say that that tour as well, when you were sick at the start, losing time, you know, a bit behind and then to come back. You've got some head on you. Like, well, I've done that. You've got a good, you've got a strong mentality. You know, it's, um, yeah, fair play. It's no surprise you've won the races you've done because, yeah, so many, that would crack so many people, you know, going into a race, one of the favourites, first time Tour de France for women and you're just like, get a bit sick early on, lose time. Like, that's enough to crack anyone, so. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to say, Tom. Unreal. <laughs> I got some good exercises in my career, how to deal with disappointment. <laughs> so maybe it's also a skill I developed during my career's career. Um, yeah, I always try like not to get negative and uh, don't get in a hole of, uh, yeah, about looking back. I was like to look forward. So like, okay, I'm sick. I cannot do anything about it. Um, let's try to make the best out of it and um, get the help of my team and try to lose as less t- time as possible and then we see from there. I knew that I was in my best possible shape at the start of the Tour de France and the Champs-Élysées. So yeah, I was super disappointed because the evening after the Champs-Élysées, Champs-Élysées I got really sick. But yeah, you can't do anything about it. There's two more things I'm wondering, Geraint. Um, uh, do you speak any Dutch at all, G? Have you got any Dutch words? Or probably just the rude ones that you got taught by by Wout when he was on your team yeah only swear words from Dylan and, and Wout okay so nothing I can really repeat and Amit can you help us out then I don't know if you're familiar with the um, the phrase in English there's different ways to skin a cat it's nothing to do with actually harming cats but it makes me think of all the different ways you've won races so is there a similar phrase in Dutch that you can teach me and G so there's plenty of ways to skin a cat yeah, we have a saying that is a bit similar. Um, there are meerdere wegen die naar Rome leiden, which like there are different ways that lead to Rome. Okay, do you give that a pop? Remen reden, Romene, Romene. Yeah, verschillende. That's also a really nice, uh, nice word for you with a uh, <laughs> really Dutch sound. Yeah, sorry, I, I lost that after the first word. Go on, Tom. <laughs> I'm going to get out of this G by asking Anamik one final question. Because Anamik, you'll appreciate that G is not as young as he used to be. He's getting towards the end of his career. What advice would you give him as he gets later in his 30s to stay at the same level as he has been so far? Ooh, that's a hard one. Keep the motivation and try to, if you feel that you lose the motivation, that you can try to put an extra effort, that you still enjoy to work hard. So don't put yourself in too difficult situation. Uh, sometimes at the end of your career, it gets more harder to find the motivation. And um, yeah, sometimes you need to put a more better effort, uh, more effort to make it nice for yourself. Yeah, maybe raise the bar high, set your goals, but also... Um, Try to enjoy it. Yeah, that's the one thing I've always thought. It's in your head. And like physically, I think you can do it for a long time, especially endurance sport like this. But if you still can't commit to everything and and enjoy doing it, enjoy the commitment and, you know, the amount of time going away and, you know, training camps, altitude. I know you enjoy them, Anamik, but sometimes they can be brutal, can't they? And just not, not quite enjoyable. But And to be fair, I do enjoy them when I'm there. For me, it's really helping to set new new goals. So actually, also in the in my last year, I set new goals. So 
I think yeah, I can recommend to keep challenging. So for example, this year I put out there at the dinner with my coach that I want to work a little bit on that I get a bit more explosive. So to have like better one minute or two minutes, which is harder when you get older, like those those one, two minute uh, numbers get a bit less. But that's also how I need to win on the cow work, for example. So I put out there the question like, hey, to Louis, like, hey, can we go in for the spring? Maybe uh, like... 99% of the time we will do the same as last year's, but at least like 1% of the time we focus a bit more to get that a little bit better, maybe. Um, but at least it gives me energy to have some some new goals. And if you start to be in the end of your career to copy-paste, um, I think then your motivation goes down. So don't go copy-paste. <laughs> 100% I'm not copy-pasting. But um, I was going to say, I hit my best one minute and two minute powers last year. So And everyone says I'm old, so... For sure you can nah, do then it. Then there's no way to stop. Yeah. So uh, I think the biggest change, I'm going to get my coach to take me out for dinner now. <laughs> and uh, It could be dangerous doing it in November. I might wait till January when I'm not drinking as well. But, well, no, I'm not drinking much now anyway. I'm back on it. But, um, yeah. Oh, I just want to say thanks for coming on. It has been incredible to have you on. A proper, uh, well, legendary what you've done in the sport. One more big year to go. Maybe two. If Paris has a couple of climbs at the end, you never know. <laughs> but no, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, thanks for having appreciate me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Gee, I am delighted to announce that we have got Momentus back on board as a sponsor for Series 3 of the GTCC. Momentus, a little bit like you, G, are dedicated to optimising both the mind and body, and they're leading the way for high-performance seekers at all levels. Right, so for those not familiar with Momentus, G, tell us all about their flagship product. Yeah, so PR lotion is something I've used on my body for years, Tom. It basically delivers bicarb directly to your muscles via your skin and bypasses the gut, which I don't know if you've ever drunk bicarb, Tom, but that's a big plus. The best time to use it, I find, is an hour and a half before your workout on Zwift or out on the road or whatever you're doing. And it's not too sticky either. It doesn't get stuck in your hairs if you've forgotten to shave. And it definitely helps me train harder. All of this is true, G. It is actually scientifically proven to improve performance and decrease muscle soreness and helps you make all those training goals. If you want to get your hands on some PR lotion, Momentus are giving GTCC members, that's you listening right now, yes you, 25% off. Give them the code G. Just head over to PRLotion.com and use the code GTCC2022 to get 25% off today. Enjoy. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Tom, Zwift are back for their third season sponsoring the GTCC. Which means our Wednesday 6pm group rides continue. Exactly. Just hop on your trainer, open up the Zwift app and join the group ride. You get to ride alongside us, all our club members and wear the in-game GTCC jersey. And if you're new to Zwift, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial today.
During this season of the pod, we're going to be walking you through all the new stuff we've been trying out on the app. Just think of us as your testing team. So Chairman Tom, what have you been trying this week? Well, gee, I've got some big news from Zwift HQ. Zwift have released their first ever smart trainer called the Zwift Hub. Right, you might wonder why we're only mentioning this now. Well, it was so popular, it kept selling out. But Zwift are fully stocked now and ready for the peak indoor season. It's £449 or $449 slash euros for our friends in Europe and the US. And at that price, it is serious value for money. It's a direct drive smart trainer, so it comes with everything you'd expect, like smart resistance and a built-in power meter. Plus, it comes with your recipient's or your choice of cassette pre-installed. That is serious business, so there will be no tears on Christmas Day. Just head over to Zwift.com to grab yours now. And don't forget to join us this Wednesday at 6pm UK time for our club ride. Come and have a chat and get your winter training in. See you there. Time for any other business now, Tom. And I wanted to give a shout out to all the members who've been tagging us in their Spotify wrapped. There are far too many to mention, but we really appreciate you all listening and supporting the club this year. Was the GTCC the top of your podcast list, Tom? Well, Garen, I don't actually use Spotify, so I haven't received my Spotify wrapped. Um, I tend to use a rival service, which hasn't indicated if the GTCC is my top podcast. But clearly, we're on our own podcast, so I think it would be top of the tree, wouldn't it? Yeah, of course. It's got to be. Closely followed by uh, What's Occurring. And the Joe Marler Show. And the, and uh, that golf one with Beef, Beefy. <laughs> and We Didn't Start the Fire. And I think I'm going to lose this game. It's like a Christmas <laughs> game, isn't it? And, and oh, the, the, the crazy American guy, Vigilante. Oh, yeah, American Vigilante. That was a good one. Gee, we have had a really lovely message in. This comes from Chad Wilson. And Chad says... Two years ago, I'd gotten out of shape and stopped caring about riding. Well, as life would have it, I had a huge eye-opener when I had a heart attack and a stent fitted two days before my 46th birthday. Thanks to both of you for having a huge part in saving my life. The stories I hear on the podcast are a great way to pass the time whilst on the turbo trainer and doing the FTP builder on Zwift. My friends and wife are also fans of my new lingo. Now, I'm going to start to do an impression of Chad doing an impression of you here, G. Fwah. Mega. Comes to mind. Thanks again and always know that you do more than you think and you helped pull this teacher out of the dumps. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's very nice to hear, yeah. That's um yeah, it's weird hearing stuff like that, isn't it? Like obviously people are gonna enjoy what we say, Tom. But um yeah, hearing stories like that is always is always nice, yeah. Yeah, because the GTCC is you and me chatting, but it's all about community, isn't it, Geraint? You know, this pod would be pointless without all our members, without all our listeners. All the people who help us build such a fun club. Exactly, yeah. And you know, on Zwift and things, it definitely like we were saying at the start of the pod, it all helps, isn't it, riding together making a community, social media and all that jazz. Something a bit nice as well, isn't it? Because the world's a bit dark at times these days. So Very much so. Also, of course, Chad is from North America. So if anyone listening wants to help him start a GTCC section out there or maybe ride with him on Zwift in his time zone, just reach out to him. Quality. Bye for now, Tom. See you next time. That was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gwilliam, Heads of Music Emma Hickman and Frank Beecher, Head of Social Archie Biltcliffe, and our Honorary President Mike Carr. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao.
Crowd Network, a place where you belong.